0: fashioned in the image of God. It would make sense then that life is indeed valuable, and we go to great lengths to protect it. But place that life inside of a womb and it's a different story altogether, sad to say. Join us as we look at Acts 17 next. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Welcome to our program. We are looking at Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 30, and the sanctity of life. You know, especially recently here in these last few weeks, we have seen that people are willing to place a price on body parts, and that is indeed quite a sad thing, considering they have no concern about where they come from and what life is taken in order to get them. We're looking at the sanctity of life and how life is sacred because it is formed and fashioned after the image of God. Acts 17, here's Pastor Steve Converse.
1: Thirdly, not only has God made all things, not only has God determined or appointed His times concerning these things, but thirdly, I want you to see in verse 27 and 28, God made mankind in His image, it says. It says that in verse 28, 27 and 28. So they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. See, very clearly that God made us in His image. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says this, The dust returns to the ground it came forth, and the Spirit returns to God, who what? Who gave it. You don't just die and lay there in the dirt. Your body goes back to the dust from which it was created, but your spirit continues to live. For those that know Christ, they they continue to live in the presence of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior. For those that don't, they're ushered into an eternity of hell. God originally gave life through the first man and woman he created. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him male and female, and he created them. Our image comes from our creator. It's not assigned to us by other human beings. Psalm 119.73 says, Your hand made me and fashioned me. It Speaks of a kind of a, almost a potter forming a pot. The verse I read in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you, I knew you. That word to know there conveys incredible meaning in the Old Testament in the Hebrew. It goes far deeper than just mere intellectual knowledge of somebody or awareness, that word really talks about a personal commitment, an intimate knowledge, an intimate experience with that person. It's used for the sexual union between a husband and a wife in Genesis 4.1. That's the kind of knowledge we're talking about. When we were back in D.C., my son-in-law arranged a tour of the White House for us. And it's a little different nowadays. You can't just walk up to the White House. You used to just be able to go up there and you could file through the White House, you know, uh, before 9-11. Now you can't. You've got to have an appointment. You've got to go through your congressman or a military member or something like that. And, and they're kind of hard to get. But we had our appointment and we get in line. And, and uh, about two months before I even went back there, I had to give Will my date of birth, my Social Security number, information. And they do this whole clearance thing. So it's about 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning, D.C., it's freezing out, it's probably in the high 20s, 30s, and we're waiting in this line, and there's other people there, and we get up, and you have to have your ID out, you get your ID out, and we'll have the paper that said we were authorized to go in there, and the Secret Service has various lines set up, and I was kind of following everybody else, and They all showed their ID and they walked right through and the Secret Service looks at me, looks at my license, looks at me again and he goes, Mr. Converse, you're going to have to step over here. And there goes my family off into the White House (laughs) and I'm standing there going, what? Well, your birth date is, we don't have the same birth date that you have on your California driver's license on our record. I'm like, okay. So we have to do a secondary kind of security check and everything. It'd just be a few moments. You gotta wait over here in this holding pin. I said, Okay. And there's a couple other people over there, so I make my way over there and kinda of standing there and you know, at one point and beacon kinda of turns around and tries to well, what's going on? You know, ma'am, you gotta keep moving. It's like none of your business, you just keep going, you know. And I thought, Wow, these guys are pretty serious, you know, they all got the little iPads out and iPhones and it'd just be a few moments, ten, fifteen minutes. So I'm waiting there and I started Trying to talk to one of the guys that was there, I said, "Well, what was your?" And the Secret Service immediately, "Hey, hey no, no talking there. You can't talk to each." Other. It's like, good night, you know. And these guys are serious. Um, eventually, you know, after a couple other people, he called me my name and he came and you know, went forward and and he held up his little iPad and, and there's my picture on there and and he said, "Is that you?" I said, "Yeah, that's me." <laughs> said, that's pretty incredible, you know. Does this happen often? He wouldn't even answer any questions. He was just very straightforward with me. And uh, he says, is this the proper information, birth date, whatever? Yeah, fine, okay. All right, you're you're clear to go. Go to the next part. And they had like four different stations for clearing you to go into this place. And uh, so I'm thinking, you know, this guy didn't know me. He didn't know who I was. He had all the information about me, but he didn't really even know me. As I made my way up the path there, I got closer to the doors where you actually go in the secondary thing. And there's a sign there that says, White House. I don't know, I didn't even know what it said. I said, I want to take a picture of something, right? Well, you're not allowed to do that <clears throat> in the White House. So I'm thinking, I'm not in the White House yet, right? I'm just on the path to the White House. So I pull my little iPhone out, and I'm holding it up, and I, I take the picture. And it was actually a picture of a sign that says, no photography, no photography. <laughs> I'm thinking, what an idiot I am, you know. So just as I was clicking it, the, the D.C. cop comes, hey, yeah, what are you doing? You know, and it's kind of chewed me out. I'm like, oh, man, I'm never going to make it in there. I said, well, I thought it was inside the White House. No, anywhere on the ground, no photography. Put that away, turn it off, fine. And we got in there, and we had a good time. But none of those people knew me. See, th- th- this is the kind of knowledge that, that God knows us intimately God not only knew about Jeremiah, He knew him. He was involved with him in a personal way. That's how our God is with us. He doesn't just know us. He knows us intimately. The Bible says that He knows even the hairs that are on our head. Or the ones that aren't. Whatever it might be. He knows. And God says that each human life is woven. That word is, is to weave. And it's weaved by Him. He knits us together. When he says knits us together, it's kind of an interesting play on the words or it actually means to embroider each little human frame in the womb. Do you ever look at yourself in the mirror? Say, why did God make me this way? You know, I don't know, but God did. And when you stand there and you feel bad about what you see. It's like spitting in the artist's face. It's like saying, why'd you make me this way, God? As if he doesn't know better than you. We aren't just a bunch of clones. He's, he has a personalized plan for each one of us. And God is saying, I started getting you ready. And the world ready for you long before you were even born. I worked through your father and your mother, through your grandfather and your grandmothers, and your great grandfathers and your great grandmothers. For generations, I was preparing you for this day of birth. What an incredible thing. History tells us that the mother of Sir Walter Scott loved poetry and art. It's no wonder he followed in his mother's love. The mother of Napoleon Bonaparte was ambitious for herself and her children. The mother of John and Charles Wesley was a godly and devout woman with great ability. See, God prepares for a child long before that child is born. It's not a mistake. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. you would think that maybe just something special applied to Jeremiah. But that's not what he means. He's talking of all creation there. And we fail to see that what the Lord says about Jeremiah is true about us also. There's nothing unusual about it. God never made another one like you. Some of you may be sitting next to somebody of go, oh, thank God for that. We're all special. We have our little quirks. We have our personalities. We have the things we like. We have the things we dislike. We have our gifts and our abilities. All those things God put perfectly in place for us. God forms a human life. Billions and billions that have been born on this earth. There's not one duplicate. Even twins aren't duplicate. Each one is unique, prepared for God for the time in which he lives. And he says to Jeremiah, look, I've prepared you for this hour. He's prepared each one of us for the time in which we live. Lastly, I want you to see here that we should not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. That's what he says in verses 29 and 30. He says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God... We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. See, the pride of of humanity has really, I think, blinded us in a great way in making proper choices when it concerns life. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says this, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Even so thou knowest not the works of God, who makes all. That's what I was reading earlier. Our, God's ways are not like ours, they're much higher. And yet we live in a society somehow that's lost its bearings of right and wrong. Wrong is right and right is wrong. There's political decisions that are based more on power than on morality. The overview of Scripture really reveals the taking of innocent human life is hated. And it's condemned by God. It's not the way of the Spirit. And as verse 30 says... We live in ignorance. But it says, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent. See, society is quick to focus on the freedom of choice, but it's slow to focus on the results of that choice, as we saw in the video. We soon forget that there's two victims in abortion, the child who dies and the mother who bears the emotional and psychological scars which don't go away, by the way. With no acknowledgement of the loss of life, there's no funeral, there's no grief process. And it definitely leads to emotional, relational problems. There's a thing today called post-abortion stress disorder. Many women privately live the life described in Matthew two eighteen. After Herod had all those babies murdered, we looked at that at Christmas time. In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be conformed because they are not. One writer says that abortion is an act of despair. He says, 70% of women undergoing abortion believe the procedure is morally wrong. They act against their conscience because they feel that they have no other choice. They don't feel that they can share it even with their own family, much less with their church family, because they're afraid of rejection. And if they try to share the grief with someone who's pro-choice, they're told, oh, just forget about it and go on with your life. It wasn't really a baby. It's just a fetus. See, those who favor this, this pro-choice agenda, right to choose, don't want to authenticate the women's grief for fear of casting this decision as immoral. and denying the the reality of abortion and the pain that it involves only not only hurts the babies but it also hurts the women it hurts the men it hurts families across this nation and this world and i think we have to do everything within our power to pray and to to seek to change what direction our nation is headed in. Proverbs twenty four, eleven to twelve says, Deliver those who are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to slaughter. Hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? Who does not he know, who keeps your soul? Will he not render to every man according to his work? See, God knows our hearts, beloved. And I think it's a time for this country to stand up, especially believers, and to not riot in the streets, not picket, but first of all, to pray. To pray that somehow God would turn this thing around. I mean, the only good in this whole issue is that, you know, all those babies that have been aborted my theology says that they're with the Lord. In His sovereign plan, somehow, He, he woes that all together. But it doesn't undo the scars for the women left behind. And I pray that as we join together as believers in this country, that our prayer would be that we would Think of life as sacred sacred and celebrated as such. I mean, this is kind of a sobering message. I understand it's a very controversial thing, in society at least. But it's sad that we've relegated just one day, (laughs) in 365 days, to speak out about this horrible tragedy that's going on every day in our country. And I want to say that if you've been touched by abortion somehow. Maybe you've gone through one. Maybe you know somebody who's gone through one. We're not here to judge you. That's not our heart. Our heart is to help you understand that there can be restoration. That There is grace extended at the cross, not judgment. And we pray that you will find that grace through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank You for our time this morning. Lord, I know that as a Creator, Your heart grieves when any innocent life is murdered. And yet, Lord, even in that, We see your gracious hand extended. Father, we know that this is a very divisive issue in our country and even in the church today. But Lord, we pray that we would not stand on our politics, or our own personal choice, but we would stand upon your word. And your word clearly says, as we've seen this morning, that you created us with a purpose and a plan. And that we should never forget that. We long to be used by you in whatever way that you desire to use us. But for that to happen, we first have to acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior. That we have to turn to you and ask you to forgive us of our sins. There's not a person in this room who hasn't sinned against a holy God in some way or fashion, thought, deed. And Lord, we... Thank you that you have provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. We can't pay for them ourselves. We like to think we can. We like to maybe think we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try harder and come to church and pray and, and, and read the Bible and do all these good things, help the homeless, and somehow that's going to get us into heaven. It won't. Those are all great things. But not one of those things or all those things have the power to forgive sin. Only the sacrifice of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, has the ability to do that. And we thank you that you don't deal with us as a group of people. You deal with us as individuals. Each one of us is responsible before you to come to you. To acknowledge our sin. Our need of a Savior. And when we do that. When we cry out to you, a holy God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me this way of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help me to set aside my plans and my agenda and live my life for you. You're the one that created me. You're the one that gifted me. You're the one that knows everything about me. You know what's best for me. Only then can we experience this forgiveness and grace that we've talked about. And so, Father, we pray for each heart here this morning. If there's any here this morning who is yet to cry out to you, to ask them, ask you for forgiveness, Lord. I pray that you would help them, even in their unbelief, help them through that. And Lord, I pray for us as believers that we would remember that there's a a lost and dying world outside these four walls that desperately needs to hear the gospel of Christ. And they not only need to hear it, but they need to see it lived in our lives each and every day. I pray that as representatives, not only of you, but of this church, as we work and we live, Lord, that we would do it in a way that honors you, brings glory to you, draws attention to you, not us. We ask all these things in Christ's name.
0: Well, we're out of time. That'll close out our time together today here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for praise and worship Service time, 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through grade five. And if you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here's our phone number, 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also find more information about us and who we are on our website, which is gracefultruth.org. That's www.gracefultruth.org. In fact, if you're planning on joining us for worship, we'll have directions and details again at our website, gracefultruth.org. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. Again, that's 2225 Euclid Avenue, here in Redwood City. The zip code, 94061. Also, don't forget to mark on your calendar September 11th. Friday and Saturday, September 12th, for NorCal Fire. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City will play host to NorCal Fire, a wonderful two-day conference getting people fired up to warn the lost of the fire to come. Details can be found at gracebibleonline.org or strivingforeternity.org. Either one of these websites will give you more information. Again, gracebibleonline.org or strivingforeternity.org. You can also call 650-366-9923 for more information. NorCal Fire. Make plans to join us Friday, September 11th, and Saturday, September 12th for this marvelous conference on evangelism. And for more information, simply visit our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, call. And that phone number again is 650 650- 366 9923. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, God bless.